Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Today's Friday, March 19, 2021, coming up on Roller Mark Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Houston, Texas. Federal authorities have launched a criminal investigation into Baltimore. State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby and her husband, Baltimore City Council President Nick Mosby. Their attorney is blasting this investigation. We will talk with Scott Bolden right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. In the Derek Chauvin case in Minneapolis, the judge will allow by somebody camera footage from the police officers to be admitted into the trial. Also, uh, on today's show, uh, my interview with St. Louis activist and rapper Tev Poe, we talk about his issue that with some people who are in the movement, are folks truly standing up for black people, and what did he have to say about individuals who came to Ferguson, then left and never returned, but built their careers on activism 
and has never given back. Trust me, y'all do not want to miss our discussion. Plus, uh, the uh, CEO of the NAACP is demanding a meeting with Fox, excuse me, with the NFL over their new TV contract with Fox. All of that next. Rolling Martin Unfiltered. It's time to bring the funk. Let's go. authorities have launched a investigation into the finances of Baltimore State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby and her husband Nick Mosby, president of the Baltimore City Council. The Baltimore Sun reported that subpoenas were issued for churches to when it came to the actual tithes and offerings that they made to churches. The feds are seeking tax returns, bank and credit card statements, and business records and other financial documents. The Mosby's say they did nothing wrong. The attorney is Scott Bolden, frequent panelist here on Brother Martin Unfiltered. He joins us right now. Uh, Scott, welcome uh, to the show. Uh, on the other side, this is, this is interesting. Have you ever heard of a federal investigation to ask churches about the donations of individuals to churches? It's, it, it's laughable. And uh, in 35 years of practice in law, as a former prosecutor from New York City, who I've defended as well as prosecuted individuals in criminal tax cases, at least at the state level, it's unheard of, if you will. And, and what it ultimately gets at is that these are two high-profile African-American politicians. They are progressive change makers. They have called for redistribution of wealth, at least her husband has. And Marilyn Mosby is a leader in progressive prosecutors and was there before many of the others were elected, if you will. Uh, she doesn't prosecute low-level drug possession cases. She has a conviction integrity unit. She certainly looks at over-sentencing. And this is the new progressive prosecution team in Baltimore, but more importantly, spreading all around the country. And so she's been sued by the police before. She certainly stood up and prosecuted cops for Freddie Gray, and now she has to face these, these race-based challenges, but, but really, more importantly, these inappropriate use of federal resources, like impaneling a criminal grand jury for two public officials who, quite frankly, don't make enough money to have a criminal investigation about them, let alone impanel a grand jury, where if you have some issues about their deductions, it goes to city audit, it goes to a civil audit, or the IRS can ask you questions about it. And if they find that they can't match up the donations, whether it's from their campaign finance committees, whether it's from uh, their donations to churches, or whether it's in their personal lifestyles, the IRS will ask, they will audit, 
and then they either make you pay money or sometimes you wind up paying them that, that they owed money. None of this went through any civil review process. And now they have a criminal federal investigation, criminal tax investigation, if you will, for people who make roughly $200,000 a year who are public servants and get paid on tax dollars. And it is essentially their only income. They have started some other companies, but these companies are startups. They have not created a slush fund. The companies aren't generating any revenue. And so now they appear to be, if you believe the press report, appear to be going through donations, which were 501c3 write-offs or deductions, and matching them up to see whether a $20 donation or a $100 donation was actually made. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And by the way, this investigation, we believe, was started under the Trump administration. We hope to end it under the Biden administration. Um, it, it, again, um, the, the federal agents, according to the Baltimore Sun, they did meet with uh, Nick Mosby uh, last week. Um, and according to this story, where you have, uh, again, uh, churches uh, saying that they have reached out to them uh, in terms of, but so uh, I, I've just never, I've just never heard again of feds uh, having churches turn over information about donations uh, being made uh, to them. Well, the, the, if you believe that that information is reliable, you know, if you do electronic tithing, there's certainly a record of that. But Roland, you and I both know if we go to church and they're passing the hat and they pass it again for some special purpose or a number of special purposes, right? If I write a, ch if I write a check, you've got a record of that. Otherwise, if I give $20 or $100, I'm not sure I have a record of that. I'm not sure the church has a record of that. But it shows the minutia and the debt that the government investigators and the police unions and all those who are motivated to cause them embarrassment or try to cause them embarrassment will go. They leaked this to the press. We found out about it through the press. They publicly tried to serve Nick Mosby while he was doing his job as chair of the council or chair of the board of estimates. It was embarrassing. And the, the, the amount of money at issue, if you made them pay back all of their donation, right, gave them zero credit, the amount of money at issue civilly uh, would be minuscule compared to the federal resources used to investigate this wonderful, young, powerful, black, and political couple. Unbelievable. All right, uh, Scott Bolden, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. And we'll be following this story to see what happens next. Yeah, we'll be fighting. We're going to fight to the end on this one. Thanks, Roland. All right. Thanks a lot. I want to bring in uh, my panel here. Uh, certainly want to get uh, their thoughts and perspective. Candace Kelly, she joins us. Candace, of course, uh, is a uh, legal analyst. Uh, and, of course, uh, we've had her uh, on before. Glad to have her here. Also uh, on today's show, Michael Imhotep, uh, he also joins us. Uh, of course, with Michael uh, as well. Uh, he, of course, the African History Network show. Rob Richardson, the host, Disruption Now podcast. Glad to have all three of you. Candace, I want to start with you. Um, again, this is a federal criminal investigation. 
they are they're asking for all the financial documents uh, of Nick Mosby, of Marilyn Mosby. Uh, to be honest, Marilyn Mosby has been under constant attack. It's interesting that, of course, I sat down last week with Kim Gardner, uh, of course, the prosecutor in St. Louis, who's been under constant attack uh, by folks there. So is Marilyn Mosby. Uh, when she prosecuted the cops who, who, uh, um, uh, for, Freddie, for Freddie Gray's death, you have people who try to get her law license taken. Uh, you've had police targeting her as well. Uh, you've had the governor okay, telling the Democrat attorney general to take over cases because he felt she was not prosecuting them fast enough. Now you have this uh, investigation here. Uh, it, 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 uh, clearly, the Mosmans have pissed some folks off. <laughs> they have. But you know why they've pissed some folks off? They've pissed some folks off because... They've got power. They are a power couple. And when you get on somebody's radar and you have power, they want you to not have that power. And they do anything that they can in order to just get, your, get you to relinquish that power. To think that they would impanel a, a grand jury to determine whether or not hundreds of dollars or up to thousands of dollars, because there were some questions in terms of getting early monies from his pension fund, that anybody else who would have borrowed from this type of fund would not have gone under the same scrutiny. It's not something that's out of the ordinary when people come into some type of a, uh, an issue or a hump that they, didn't, uh, that they didn't expect. This is nothing more than, than fishing for a reason to get these people in trouble and make their whole lives crumble beneath their feet. Nothing more. It, it, and, and what they are actually trying to bring up against this couple is something that we've seen for hundreds of years. We can go back all the way to Marcus Garvey to, to any other civil rights leader that's, that, that, we have, that we have come in contact with. This is, some, this is the same old, same old. Same old, same old. Rob, you have the former mayor of Baltimore, Catherine Pugh, sitting in federal prison right now. Uh, for accepting hundreds of thousands of dollars for books that were never, that were supposed to be published, were never received, doing never. business with, um, uh, of course, uh, an agency with the state that she actually sat, sat uh, on the review board as well. Uh, Baltimore has had issues in the past, same thing, another mm -hmm. mayor uh, who was forced out of office, Mayor Dixon, for using, um, uh, for using uh, debit cards or using actually uh, gift cards uh, meant for uh, other usages uh, for personal reasons. But what's sort of weird here, again, uh, you're requesting the financial documents in a criminal investigation, but it doesn't appear as if they're, they're alleging that, that it was based upon corruption or money was stolen from the state misuse of funds. Um, how do you see this? Uh, well, uh, I happen to know um, Marilyn, and, and I don't know Nick, but I know Marilyn pretty well. I would just say that um, you, you described it well. She has been fighting, and he has been fighting for a long time. That makes you a target. And I know this about feds because I've, I've defended people just like Scott has before. And I know when they get a narrative in their mind, and what, this is what likely has happened. Somebody did something, not necessarily them, but at some connection, and then somehow they got they were connected to them, and they, and they got in their mind, and like, okay, these people must be doing something, even if they didn't have any proof. Somebody called them. They often just look at, people don't know this, but they often look at the news, and they say, oh, let's investigate that. And here's the thing, when the FBI investigates you, it can bankrupt you, even if you, don't, even if you didn't do anything. It's happened to uh, people that I know. Like they weren't guilty of anything. They were just involved in a campaign where somebody did something, uh, but because they work for this person, they get involved in this and they have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars when they don't 
make millions of dollars. Like hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money, and 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 the FBI has endless resources, so they can they can really just 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 take this out and just take this thing all the way out and and make and make the Mosbys spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, even if they find nothing there. And and even if there's nothing there, they will look to find something there because they have a narrative. I believe they have a narrative in their mind that they did something and they're going to find something. And this is clearly what they're doing. I think it's a I think it's a waste of resources and money when you think about all the things that are going on in this country that we have our FBI going after church donations. I mean, just think about that for a minute. Uh, uh, but what do you make of this, uh, Michael? You know, uh, this is the first time I've heard looking at church donations. Usually they'll look at lavish spending, spending beyond your means, different things like this. But this is uh, the first time I've heard uh, going after church donations. And, you know, under the Trump administration, because I, I, I heard uh, Attorney Bowden say this investigation started under the Trump administration, I remember Attorney General William Barr being at odds with progressive prosecutors. And if I remember correctly, Marilyn Mosby was one of those progressive prosecutors. Is that correct, Roland? And, 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 and in fact, she also made it clear that if uh, the federal agents uh, who were sick on Portland made it clear if they brought that mm -hmm. to Baltimore, she was going to use her power to prosecute those federal officers. That also ticked the Trump people off. Right. Uh, and then also, I think I remember it was Marilyn Mosby who wiped out a lot of convictions on marijuana, uh, marijuana convictions, things like this. So there have been a number of different progressive things that she and other African-American prosecutors have done that were, and, and not just African-American prosecutors, but specifically African-American prosecutors have done that were at odds with the Trump Department of Justice. So, you know, something like this could be payback. So hopefully um, this turns out well for them. Uh, th this is just crazy. Go after, you, go, you know, go after church donations. Uh, this is just crazy. And hopefully it ends uh, here with the uh, Biden administration. This, this, does, this doesn't make sense. No, yesterday, no. folks, let's go to our next story. Yesterday, the... Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. Okay, all right. We'll go to our second story, folks. Yesterday, uh, the NFL announced a massive TV contracts they signed with networks such as CBS, ABC, NBC, and Fox, including Amazon Prime Video. But it is the contract they signed with Fox that has stirred the ire of the NAACP. Derek Johnson, CEO of the NAACP, is blasting the NFL, saying they should not be funding the kind of contracts that will uh, result uh, in the kind of news that Fox News covers. Here's a statement that Derek released. I want to read from this statement. For several decades, the Fox Corporation, and more specifically Fox News, has represented the worst traditions of American broadcasting. The media outlet has used its news division to sow bigotry and racism, create dissension, spread misinformation, and promote conspiracy theories that ultimately, ultimately led to an insurrection against the U.S. Capitol. It is safe to say the views and opinions of Fox News are often squarely positioned against the progression of our democracy and not in the general public's best interest. But here's something that many do not know. Fox actively exploits its Fox Sports licensing deal with the NFL by extracting increasingly high cable subscriber fees to subsidize Fox News programming. This is the same network 
that has used its host and personalities to regularly attack the NFL and its players for promoting racial justice. However, this is just one aspect of its inaccurate incendiary coverage of racial injustice. Network personalities routinely attack Black Lives Matter and downplay the existence of systemic racism and police brutality. A league where nearly 70% of the players are black and prides itself as, as America's favorite sports pastime should not be complicit in helping to increase the profits of Fox News. The NFL should immediately rethink its relationship with Fox, given all that Fox has done to harm its players and the franchise. It's disturbing that this renewal is even on the table. Fox's further fomented racism, undermined the public health response to the pandemic, and attacked the election's legitimacy at a volatile time. The NAACP is requesting a formal meeting with the NFL leadership to discuss the unscrupulous tactics employed by Fox to underwrite hate speech and the un-American attacks on those that stand for racial equity and justice. The NAACP is ready to work in tandem with the NFL and hold Fox accountable. Uh, Rob, I'll start with you. Um, you have a division of Fox, which is Fox Broadcasting. You've got Fox Sports. You've got Fox News. Then, of course, Rupert Murdoch also owns the Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, uh, and other outlets as well. Um, do you think that the NAACP is conflating things? Do you think that, um, that they really don't have a case? Do you think that the argument that they're making is a just one in criticizing the NFL for signing uh, a multi-billion dollar rights deal with Fox Corporation? Yeah, uh, they certainly have a just cause. Um, now, whether they can do anything about it legally, I mean, that's another question, but they definitely have a just cause. And, and, and this should be a signal for uh, progressives, those who believe in democracy. We have to start attacking uh, this, this propaganda. It is not news. They have basically a television show with made up, with, with just made up characters. Uh, you don't know why people are evil. They're just evil. Well, you know why they're evil a lot of times because of their race or because of their politics, but they make it out to be these people to be evil and then they dehumanize these people. And this is what leads to the type of hate and the type of tax we see with with with, uh, with with what happened to our Asian brothers and sisters in Atlanta. It's what happened when you see the racial vir uh, uh, violence kick up all over last year. It's because the words you say matter, they create a climate and what and they know what they're doing. You know, racism sells. Fear sells, and they and they learn that if we can just trigger people's emotion, uh, we can trigger we, we can trigger their fear. We can make money this way. So it's not about news. It's not about news for the right wing, specifically for Fox. It's about how do we demonize anybody that uh, that that makes us feel insecure, that might make some white people feel like they need to react because that'll make people tune into uh, the news because news is boring. Look, news is. When it comes down to it, when it comes down to straight up news and people are reporting like these are the facts, these are what happened. Uh, you know, Rupert Murdoch discovered like that's not the way we want to make money. We can make money if we make everybody feel like they're being grieved all the time, like their country's being taken from them simply because a black man gets elected. There must something's being taken away from you. No, it's not. It's America. It's it, it's being more inclusive. Nothing's being taken away. It's being more inclusive. But that's but that's seen to some. And Fox News has been perpetuating this that that things are being taken away from me. And that has caused division. I think the NAACP is absolutely right. Not only are they right, we need more people to join them. And this needs to be taken more seriously because this propaganda is really affecting our democracy. It's really destroying it. Because that, that's, how, that's how America goes down, 
it goes down uh, it goes down by Americans. Americans implode, and we fight each other, and we just believe the other side is evil simply because they're black or they have different politics. This is what the right wing is doing, and they don't have any journalistic standards. They don't care. It's all about how do we how do we just provoke emotion? How do we how do we make controversy? And that's it. That's not news. Mike, Michael. You know, uh, I posted about this on uh, my Facebook fan page, the African History Network, a couple of days ago, Roland. And I totally agree with uh, Derek Johnson. And I think they should go further than this. I think they should uh, rally the corporations that donate uh, to the NAACP on an annual basis uh, and, and leverage that power to also put pressure on uh, Fox and uh, on on uh, on the Fox entity, um, because some of those same corporations advertise on the various Fox uh, networks, the Fox cable network, Fox broadcasting, et cetera. But you know, I read through the letter that uh, President Johnson said, and he he hit on a number of very very important things. Number one, Fox News, the lies that they were pushing about the stolen election. This was an attempt to overturn the election results and overturn African-American people's votes, nullify our votes. But then the NFL signs, re-signs a deal with Fox Sports, and 70% of the league is African-American. So it's like our bodies are generating money that's being used against us. Our bodies are working for an entity that's being used against against African Americans uh, as a whole. We look at Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson in the the segment you just did a couple of days ago, where Tucker Carlson is going after Kristen Clark, okay, who whose whose nomination uh, to the Department of Justice is being she's running into problems. Okay, with white male Republicans or Republicans that want to act like they're white, like Rafael Ted Cruz. Okay, we're dealing with these types of culture wars that Fox is fueling. And at the same time, you look at the people like Sean Hannity, who are and, and others on Fox News that were fueling lies about coronavirus and giving a platform to the traitor in chief, Benedict Donald to go on Fox News and lie about coronavirus, which also puts lives of African-Americans in jeopardy. So I'm totally for this. And we, we have to leverage our economics to enforce our politics, man. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, they, we need to do everything we can to, to, to take Fox News out, as far as I'm concerned. We need, to, we need to look at what Color Change did and how they got Bill O'Reilly off the air. They put pressure on 80 advertisers. Color Change and other organizations put pressure on 80 advertisers. Raw economics import from Bill O'Reilly's show where it wasn't profitable anymore, and and Fox News canceled their show. We need to do a whole. We need to do the same thing with that entire Fox uh, cable network. Candace, on the one hand, you've got Fox denigrating African American players for taking a knee, taking away their First Amendment rights, and on the other hand, you have basically they're being exploited because they're giving money back to Fox. The same people who are just burning the moral fabric of America. And, and like Michael said, it's also a health concern in terms of what they are spreading uh, in terms of the coronavirus and what should and should not be done. The FCC should get involved here because you know what, when you have a station 
you have a license, and that license has to follow FCC guidelines. And those FCC guidelines, if they are broken in any way, shape, or form, you don't get renewed. In addition, we need to look at the contract that they've made. What's the basis for this contract? And are there some racist implications in it? So there are a lot of different ways to attack it, but I'm loving what Michael said in terms of put some pressure on them otherwise. You know, there is power in the people when people take the streets and say, we don't want to see this happen. So this is just the beginning. We're going to see more. But I, I would expect that the FCC would also have some place in this. And if Derek Johnson has his wits about him, which I know he does, I'm sure that he'll be going that route. All right, folks, uh, we come back. We're going to talk about the Derek show with the case, the cop, former cop who killed George Floyd last year uh, and what a judge's decision today means. That is next on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Back in a moment. If people begin to believe that their democracy is fraudulent, if they conclude that voting is a charade, the system is rigged, then God knows what could happen. They rigged an election. They rigged it like they've never rigged an election before. Actually, we do know what could happen. It's happening right now. The U.S. Capitol overrun, under siege. Pro-Trump extremists storming inside, flooding the halls, breaching the floor of the House of Representatives and the Senate. Millions of Americans sincerely believe the last election was fake. It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it. We will not go quietly into the night. When thousands of your countrymen storm the Capitol building, if you don't bother to pause and learn a single thing from it, then you're a fool. I know you're pain. I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. We got to this sad, chaotic day for a reason. It is not your fault. It is their fault. This is Essence Atkins. Hey, I'm Dion Cole from Blackish. Hey, everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, Unfiltered. At the trial of Derek Chauvin, the former Minneapolis cop who is on trial for killing George Floyd, the judge of the case said he is going to allow some body camera uh, footage into evidence uh, in the trial. Of course, uh, Judge Peter Cahill said the body camera footage took place in 2019. Uh, it was a year before Chauvin kneeled on Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Uh, this particular uh, body cam, uh, said, Judge Cahill said this, quote, is some relevance to Floyd's arrest on May 6, 2019, because it shows an example of Floyd's physical symptoms and bodily reaction to being confronted by police in a similar situation as its deadly arrest on May 25th, 2020. Uh, 13 jurors have been seated, uh, five men and eight women, uh, and they're almost near conclusion of jury selection. Candace, uh, you're a lawyer on this panel. What does that mean, um, the, this judge's decision? Listen, defense attorney Eric Nelson has been trying to get this evidence in since last year. The judge finally acquiesced, but only to a point. This means that Eric Nelson, defense attorney, will be able to use this recording to show that there was some M.O. on George Floyd's part in order to conceal drugs. And that's exactly what the defense wants. They want there to be this evidence that there were drugs concealed so that they can use those drugs as a basis to say that that was a contributing factor to his death. So at the end of the day, after months and months of wrangling, the defense got what it wants. It is going to be able to show the parts of the video that goes from the police approaching the car 
just until he's put in handcuffs, nothing when he goes to the police precinct or the hospital, all of that that comes after nothing. But within those first couple of minutes, not even a couple of minutes, you do see that there are pills on the seat. That's allowed. You see that he was trying to conceal drugs. That's allowed. And so here we have basically what's a win for Eric Nelson. And, you know, that's what happens when you have a good attorney. For those of you who have been watching, I'm sure that you can agree that Eric Nelson is a good attorney. So the prosecution has to do all they can to fight otherwise and say, hey, look, on one hand, we have this tape that says this, these are the same, this is, this is an M.O., but on the other hand, all right, so we have the same M.O., but why is George Floyd dead? And that's going to be the prosecution's test to prove that that's going to be the major difference, and that's where those two recordings part ways. Um, Rob, obviously, uh, supporters of Chauvin, they have been trying to cast aspersion against George Floyd. You've had Tucker Carlson, you've had Candace Owens, you've had all the people in conservative media. Oh, George Floyd died of a drug overdose. It wasn't Chauvin, as if we didn't actually see. Uh, I've been in seeing his knee on his neck for nine neck. minutes. Jesus Christ. Yes, I mean, we. The, the goal of this is to make people reject what they saw and figure out an, an exit ramp to say, oh, well, it's because he used drugs or, oh, he was he was violent or whatever. I mean, so it, it's allowing people to have that. It, it's not reasonable doubt. I don't think what happened a year ago was relevant. Uh, but as was stated earlier, it, it matters. Your, your attorney matters a lot. And uh, unfortunately, who gets to who, who tells the better story? Not often how the facts are presented is how these things end up playing out. And so um, all this all, all, all the defense is going to do is just figure out a way to say, oh, look, you just need to focus on this. The fact is he was doing drugs that probably contributed to it. And I guess we should just ignore the fact that he sat on his knee for nine minutes as he begged for his life. To me, I don't understand how a year prior, what that has to do with anything, that doesn't give you any justification to put your knee on somebody's neck for nine minutes and suck the life out of them. That has to be told over and over and over again from the, uh, from the prosecution's point of view, because what they're going to, what the defense is going to do is try to get you down a rabbit hole to distract on one thing, you've talked about it on this show, you know, when, when, when a guest tries to get you off on a rabbit hole when you're on a point, that is what the defense is going to try to do with this case. They're going to try to say, see, look at that. He's a drug addict. See, look at that. Look at that. He was doing that. Look at that. We thought this was going to happen. Look at that. This had to happen in order to restrain this guy. They're going to come up with any reason they can to justify or at least at least just put a little bit of doubt on only one juror's mind. Because all you need is a all you need is a hung juror. You got to have you got to have all your jurors agree, all 12 agree to a charge. And uh, the goal of the, 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 uh, of the defense too is at least to get one juror. But I mean, frankly, just to create, they would love to get a, 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 a non-conviction. But if you just get one juror to say no, that's enough, and then it's hard to come back. You might be able to do it one other time, but you won't do it three. And and the and the defense knows that. Uh, bottom line is here, Michael. Folks, you simply got to get prepared for it. Look, the job of the defense attorneys to get their clients off. They're going to try to say everything they can about George Floyd to this jury. Uh, yeah, th this kind of goes back to uh, our conversation last Friday because um, I am cautiously optimistic about this case. I've studied a number of these cases. I'm cautiously optimistic with the emphasis on cautious. And, and we remember Philando Castile, that was in Minnesota as well. And if, when you read about that case and you read the testimony from Officer Yanez, Officer Yanez said that he smelled marijuana in the car. And he said he thought to himself, what type of people 
would use marijuana in the car with a little child in the back seat. And he used that to try. This was his, this was his testimony in court. And he used and that. It and it worked. And it worked. Well, it also, they had a lot of pro-police people on the, on the jury as well. But, it, see, these, um, so I've been studying white supremacy for a long time. And so this, this is why, you know, uh, I'm just, like, really cautious about this case. I hope. Uh, justice prevails, but the but the but the main thing, and Rob is correct on this. That the main thing that we have to focus on, and the jury should focus on, and the prosecution, I'm sure they will keep the jury's attention on this. Uh, there was about uh, three, maybe four minutes where George Floyd is unconscious; he's not moving at all, and Chauvin still kept his knee on his neck. Well, what threat did he pose? He's not As he moving. was begging, talking he, to his mother, and asking no, his I'm mother. No, I'm, I'm talking about after that. There's a, there's a period of time after that he stops moving. He's yeah, not yeah. talking. He's he's unconscious, and he still kept his knee on his neck. Why? You so yeah, well, afraid? Of, you you so afraid of a black man's body that's not moving that you just got to make sure that he's dead? Why? So that's what they have to really keep the focus on. Yeah, Roland, I would say this was one other point with uh, Minnesota. When you did the one case that did get convicted was happened to be a person of color, and right. the, and, the, and the prosecution over and over again uh, said, "What is so? Uh, what scared him so much about a pink shirt? It was a woman in a pink shirt. And he said he feared for his life. He did the same. He 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 reiterated the same ridiculous defense that we always hear that always works. But this time it was a white woman in a pink shirt. And what's so threatening about that? I would argue what is threatening about a man who you have handcuffed, who is begging for his life and your knees are on top of him? What is threatening about him? Why are you, why do you need to, to hold, to, to, to do that? And he's begging for his life. What makes him threatening? I just wanted to piggyback off of Michael's point too. Uh, sure, go when ahead. He said, when he said that, you know, there were several minutes where you couldn't hear him. A former officer Chauvin says, I can hear you, so that means you're breathing. So that if he didn't hear him, then we, we can imply, it can be, you know, implied that he, he's not breathing. So I think that the prosecutors also have a, a good run at that theory because that tape supports what Michael was just saying. There was a time where he was just completely unconscious. He wasn't saying anything. Things had changed. His hands were in his pocket. Could not have been that much of a threat. Folks, let's talk about this story out of the White House. Uh, several staffers have been fired because of past marijuana use. Uh, today, Press Secretary Jen Psaki said that was the case. I'm just trying to understand here, Candace, really? I, I, I mean, for past use? What do, what, what do, you, what do you make of this? Uh, shouldn't this if, if, how can you be pursuing um, policy? And how, can you be how can you be telling DAs not to prosecute um, low-level drug offenses, but you're firing people who use marijuana in the past. Right. That, that doesn't make any sense. There's, there's some hidden agenda here. Why would you, as you said, as the laws are increasingly changing, I'm in New Jersey where the law just changed, uh, where marijuana is legal. So why would you even follow up on this when it's something that most of the, the, the country will probably soon be following in its footsteps within the next few years? Why is this of any concern? And if you use this as a precedent, how many people are going to disappear from federal agencies? There's going to be a no. lot. 
There are going to exactly. be a lot of empty seats. This is terrible precedent that doesn't make sense. And we think about all the laws that are on the books now that just go otherwise. Laws that, you know, that even on a federal level, they're thinking about changing. It, it doesn't make any sense. Rob? I mean, it's one thing to hold yourself to a higher, higher standard. It's another thing to hold yourself to a stupid standard. Like this is something like where everybody has to be perfect. This is this is a this is a democratic obsession, right? Where we have to worry about what the opponent's going to say. So we can't let them attack us there. We can't let them attack us there. So we need to do this. We need to do this. And what they still don't seem to grasp is that they're going to make up a reason to attack you anyway. This is what Fox News does. They're going to find a reason to get people motivated. They're going to find a reason to get people angry. Uh, no matter what you do, they see you as the enemy. I don't agree. That's, that's not how we should view each other. But right now, from the, from the right point of view, from right-wing media and from uh, right-wing politicians, they view anybody that is not with them as fundamentally their enemy, and they will do anything uh, to make sure that your power is limited to oppose you. So stop trying to stop trying to please these people. There, it's not it's not going to work. You know, do what's right, hire good staff, but don't have these unreasonable standards where you're going to where you're going to just eliminate good people for just what for smoking weed. This is what we're doing now. I mean, I I, I don't understand it. I just don't. Michael, your thoughts on this? Uh, well, I, I heard this reporting early today, and I'm looking at an article here from NBC News reporting about this well now. Uh, they said, Jen Psaki said that they had uh, relaxed uh, some of the uh, previous restrictions or what have you when it came to uh, staffers and previous marijuana uses because they wanted them to be able to tell the truth but not be penalized maybe if they smoked one time when they were in college or what have you. Uh, but also in, um, in hearing, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Jen Psaki earlier today, White House Press Secretary, um, they didn't get into details about there were five staffers that were let go and it said it was marijuana uses. Now what I heard is that it could have been more than just marijuana as far as drugs that were used. It, it wasn't a situation, from, from my understanding of this, it wasn't a situation where they, they smoked marijuana once five years ago, and that's why they were let go of. So it could be other drugs beyond just marijuana, but marijuana may have been one of the drugs that uh, they used. But um, we'll see how this we'll see how this turns out. But it was it's uh, five staffers out of uh, maybe a hundred or two hundred or so, something like that. Uh, staffers. Speaking of the White House, yesterday uh, at the White House news conference, uh, newly sworn in HUD Secretary Marsha Fudge, Congresswoman of Ohio. Let's just say, in twelve seconds, she completely destroyed the internet. Watch. Thank you very much, Jen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I was wondering if I was in this room by myself. <laughs> okay, run that again. Run it again. Thank you very much, Jen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I was wondering if I was in this room by myself. 
I have seen some of the most hilarious uh, tweets. Folks said uh, she went full black auntie. Others said uh, that's how Miss Bernadette is when she's giving the church announcements. Uh, Candace, that was, when I say I hollered, uh, when I saw that, uh, that was that, that, that's, that was sort of like when you walk into your grandmama's house and she's like, I, I know his ass gonna speak to everybody. I, I, I know you gonna speak. That, that was that was what that that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it it was classic. But you know, it also spoke to this this bigger notion of listen, I'm a black woman in this room. I am not invisible. Do you see me? Which is often the 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 I guess the the argument that you hear from black women that sometimes we are just not seen and to see her actually be standing there and everybody seeing her and not being knowledge is just real indicative of what it is like to be a black woman in America but she got their attention and they won't do that again. Uh, yeah, Rob, that was like you there from Ohio and look I I, I've talked to Congresswoman Fudge a whole lot over the years. Uh, that's just the don't play. And it was, no, she, she was like, like, I know y'all ass see me and y'all ain't gonna say it back. Yo, that, that, that was crazy. That was amazing. Love no, it. Was, I loved it. And I, and I know her and she's, look, she's gonna set the, she's gonna set HUD right and everyone's gonna know who's in charge and there will be no mistake about that. And, uh, and, and I'm glad that people got a chance to see it. So she's gonna be fully in charge of HUD and, and she made those, she made those reporters acknowledge her, and she shouldn't have had to do it, but it didn't take much. You see, she just looked up and just said, hello? <laughs> it didn't take much. She just gave them that look. Everybody everybody on this panel knows that look from a black woman, and they all got it, and I'm glad they got it. Yeah, absolutely, Michael. She threw that look that all black people know. In fact, y'all go ahead and play it again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Jen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I was wondering if I was in this room by myself. That, yeah. <laughs> like, I know y'all punk asses heard me say good afternoon. <laughs> I know you, you see know, me standing when, here. Go ahead, Michael. When you, when you listen to that, Roland, no one responded to her the first time. No one responded to her the first time. So you have to, you, I, know, I know she was just sworn in, but you have to wonder, okay, now, did you all not know who Representative Marsha Fudge was? Did you not know she was coming to the meeting today? Did, they, just, they just stood there. I mean, they just sat there uh, and didn't say anything. So, uh, you know, this is a, a black girl magic moment, and she, she's making it known, no, you're going to respond when I speak. And, uh, you know, this is important, but this uh, this also uh, hits on, you know, oftentimes African-American women being looked at as being invisible. Uh, and it's, you know, we just saw it right in front of us, you know, <laughs> either being looked at as invisible or being looked at as the help or something like that. You know, and, and ever, or African Americans. Well, I, I, I think I, I, I'll, be, I'll be honest. I, 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 Michael, I've seen a lot of press briefings, and they come out there, <laughs> and you know, and media folk don't say anything. Uh, but that don't matter. Again, that 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 yeah. was some sh that that was just a straight up black mm -hmm. 
I know yeah. your asses heard yeah. me yep. say this. Call yeah, my response. Call response. Right, right, right. You know, I back to take him to church. That, that reminds me of my mother. My mother used to be a school teacher for decades. So that, my, you know, <laughs> I've seen <Yeah>. that before. <laughs> you know, she came in there with such a such a force. You know, she yeah. probably caught a lot of people off guard. I mean, literally the way she just came in and her beautiful color and, and y'all, you know, the way she was dressed. I'm sure sure they were like, "Who is this?" And they probably caught up in the moment, but she got them right out of that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, she quite did. So uh, I'm just saying to the White House press corps, y'all might want to uh, 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 rethink just sort of how y'all respond to black folk who walk into the room. I'm just saying uh, the next time she walk in, hell, they probably going to speak first. Hey, Secretary Fudge. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, they, they will not repeat the mistake. That's, that's, that, uh, no, so they got. They said they will not repeat the mistake. They they they're gonna do that once. <laughs> they're gonna be they're gonna be very nice. Absolutely was. Trust me, uh, that was one of the funniest clips that have come out uh, of a White House press briefing in a very long time, and that was truly uh, uh, a, a a black woman's response uh, talking to them, and you, you, and you know I had to send her a text uh, uh, saying <laughs> good afternoon. <laughs> Had to do it. Y'all, y'all support Roller Martin Unfiltered. Please do so by joining our Brain and Funk fan club. Every dollar you give to go to support this show. Uh, our goal is to get 20,000 of our uh, fans to give us a minimum of 50 bucks each over the course of a year to help fund what we do. And we certainly appreciate all of you who have done so. You can do so by going to Cash App, dollar sign RM Unfiltered, PayPal.me forward slash R Martin Unfiltered, Venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered, and of course, Zale is rolling at RolandSMartin.com or rolling at RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. The mailing address is New Vision Media Inc. 1625 K Street, uh, Northwest, Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 2006. Michael, Candace, Rob, I certainly appreciate the three of you being with us today for the first hour, folks. In the second hour of our show, uh, we're going to hear from Tefpo, a rapper, activist from St. Louis. Y'all, y'all want to buckle up. If y'all thought uh, Marsha Fudge was giving us all of that black auntie in that <laughs> clip, uh, Tefpo, is bringing all of that uh, black uncle in my interview with him. Yeah, he got some things to say about mm. people who uh, built their protest careers off of Ferguson. Uh, he got some stuff to say about how black folks need to help one another, and he got some stuff to say about white yeah. leadership up, there man? in St. Louis. Y'all don't want to miss this interview. That is next on Roland Martin Unfiltered. We'll be back in a moment. Your work keeps the community safe. But what keeps you safe at work? People in public service face unique dangers, and we need the right training, resources, and staffing to stay safe. But how do we make sure we have what we need to stay safe on the job? We join a union. Union members negotiate for the resources we need to keep us safe at work and protections if we're injured on the job. Union members are better trained and better protected. Job safety. That's the union difference. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Nelson. Hi, this is Cheryl Lee Ralph, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Jeff, 
What's up, man? How's it going? I'm doing good. Good to see you. Likewise, likewise, uh, here here in your city. Yeah, man. Uh, we finally get a chance to uh, chat in person, all the way before yeah. on Skype and all that sort of good stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's been six years mm-hmm. uh, since um, Michael Brown's uh, death, since Ferguson uprising, since protest. Whole lot has happened. What is your your assessment of where? this city is, but also where this social justice movement is? Man, um, I'll start with the local aspect of things. Um, I do think that the the city is more resilient than what it was before. I think that um, a lot of the things that black folks talked about, that people treated as uh, things that that if you were non-black, you could say it was a myth or wasn't happening. I think that... uh, now we've moved into a space where we know these things are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do believe that uh, just like anything else, when you study history, you study the riots of 1992, um, you study the Detroit riots and the Chicago riots, all these different moments where, where we had these intense uprisings in the inner city, um, what happens after that is even more critical than the actual r- uprising. So um, uh, the corporate sector, you know, and the private deals that go down between city council folks and folks in the county that are on, you know, certain boards and certain politicians and certain flanking. Um, I think that the the corruption is still there, and it may be even stronger than what it was before because uh, now they have to move a bit more covert. Um, and within that, uh, it's created a culture of uh, ongoing resistance out here in St. Louis where. Um, I think now this is definitely a protest city. Um, I think that uh, uh, the people have a certain level of political education. And the people are trying to spread that to the other people in the the commonwealth of the city. Uh, But we get a lot of pushback from certain political folks, certain politicians, certain legacy folks. Um, And I think the way that that reflects nationally is that, um, you know, a lot of people don't know, know, for all intents and purposes, you could argue that Black Lives Matter started in St. Louis. Um, I'm not going to say that it was the origin of BLM as a concept, right? But I'm saying as a uh, as a, as, as something tangible for people in American society to to engross upon and, and interact with. There are levels. I mean, the rally, the rally is if, if you go back to the 20th century, mm-hmm. people look at the the lynching of Emmett Till, August 28th, uh, 1955, but then. You can't ignore Brown versus Board of Education in right. 54. Right. Then you can't ignore what happened before that. You can't ignore right. A. Philip Randolph threatening a march on Washington with President Facts. Roosevelt. Facts. But it was the lynching of Emmett Till that took it just to a whole new level, which leads to Montgomery on December 1st, 1955. Then 381 days, which then launches a whole different deal. Mm-hmm. So what you're really saying is that, yes, all these things happen because people, people forget John Crawford III happened right before Michael Brown. Eric Garner before that, all these other different cases, but that took it to a completely whole different level. It had to. I mean, you had black folks in the streets actually fighting the police. You had black folks uh, meeting with the DOJ, meeting with the the lawmakers that were coming into town. They couldn't couldn't walk around the people. And um, we even had the first actual convening was here at at St. John's. So uh, I think these are factoids that sometimes history overlooks. And I think uh, now that we're in a position as a city where there's a lot of, uh, there is some bitterness um, because uh, we're a flyover town now. Um, Everybody don't pull up like you just pulled up. 
You know what I'm saying? I don't get that text from a lot of people saying, hey, bro, I'm coming to town. What's good with you? I don't get that text. So uh, I think now that, that kind of reflects to how uh, movement interacts with different cities uh, nationwide, mm -hmm. where I can look at a situation uh, like George Floyd and pretty much give you a play-by-play, step-by-step breakdown about how, how this is about to go, mm -hmm. from how the police are about to act to how the activists are about to act, to how the nonprofit sector is about to act, to how the folks in the street who don't understand any of these moving pieces, how they about to act. Mm -hmm. uh, I just see that module being duplicated every time something pops off. It's interesting you say that because uh, I, I use a phrase constantly on my show, connecting the dots. And one of the things that, that, that happens when in one of these situations, you know, we know the folk mm -hmm. who will take advantage of the spotlight, who who will pop in. And again, I go back historically. Uh, Ella Baker's deal always was, we're not coming into a place to then tell you what to do. We're coming at coming in to assist you in what it is you're trying to accomplish. And that, to me, was one of the things that we always kept talking about coming out of Ferguson. Okay. What are y'all trying to do who are there as opposed to using this moment mm -hmm. to build something else? Mm -hmm. do you, has that happened? Do you, do you believe that a lot of the folks who who made their names off of Ferguson, mm -hmm. who all of a sudden are now on television and books and podcasts mm -hmm. and traveling around the world you, uh, are not coming back? You watch battle. I know you don't watch battle rap, but uh my brother is a, a pretty famous battle rapper. He has this. We can curse on it, right? He got this. Yeah, my show. I own it. <laughs> he got this. Uh, I own this shit. What would you? To that, I would say, smack. Who are these niggas? We don't. Who are they? You know what I'm saying? I know some of them. You know, but I think now it's. It. it we believe that we were uh, trying to spearhead a genuine uh, revolution for black folks. And when I say that, I'm not saying like we have these. Uh, delusional dreams of taking over the government and nothing like that. But I'm saying reshaping the political circumstances of the people, reshaping the actual things that uh, are actually oppressing us in this city. Uh, when, when, when smoke really hit the fan, we had to do that ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, we were left here to rely on our own self-determination. Uh, we were left here to weed out uh, a lot of the dissent between each other. Uh, we were le left here to just pick up the pieces and move on. Uh, I remember driving down uh, West Florissant for months after, uh, you know, the dust had kind of settled after the non-indictment. And, you know, remnants of folks trying to go back to regular life was starting to pop up. And I just used to drive down there and shake my head because I was like, yo, this, this street look like this could be anywhere in, in the world. This could be Baghdad. We talking about months after the fact. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, I know that, you know, in St. Louis, this type of corruption goes all the way back to the Veil Prophet Society, to the riots of East St. Louis, when um, they deputized uh, 300 random white folks to go across the, the water in East St. Louis and barricade black folks in their house, set their houses on fire, and if anybody came out the house, they shot them in the head. Uh, that lineage of people is the same people who run the city. I drive around and see their names on the building still. You know what I mean? A lot of black people don't do the knowledge. They don't do the history. So they don't even know that we're living in a, um, 
a stronghold of white supremacy. That's what makes St. Louis different than a lot of places. They booed Martin Luther King when he came here. Malcolm X didn't really get his feet wet here. Uh, Mega Evers was right down the street in Memphis. They blew his head off. So, uh, and Tupac came here in the hip hop era and they booed him. They jumped him actually. So like this city has always just been a, a rough place for, for outsiders to engage mm -hmm. with. Um, but I think within that, uh, it just makes our fight that much more vicious. So like if you get involved with something from somebody from here, they not playing. You know what I mean? Like if you interact with me on a, on a level where I'm, where I'm going to go outside and represent something with you and I'm going to be on the line with you. I ain't playing because I could be doing something else that's not going to be risking my life. What, what is interesting to me um, is when when events happen and when we're covering these events, and you're right, you're seeing what's going on. What I always go back to is, okay, and again, the point I just made, all right, Michael Brown's death six years ago. Mm -hmm. In the six years, all the folks who came through here, are they completely gone? Are folks, anyone coming back? Are the, uh, folks checking to say, um, okay, um, you know, what is being built? How can we help? Because the issue that I have is when there's the immediate move on to, okay, you know, what's what's the next hot thing? What's the next hashtag as opposed to, no, you still got to actually build something. Mm -hmm. you, you don't just say, hey, let's do this and then don't check back in a year. What was built? What was created? What was left? OK, you know, who gets elected? What's going on? Uh, to me, those are the things that people should be thinking about as opposed to let's just go for the next hot thing, if you will. Well, the thing here is we do have some folks who who did who came in who did move honorable. Um, but for the most part, if we being real, and I'm one of the few people who are going to be real about it, because uh, I'm not bought and owned by nobody. So I can actually speak. N none of, nothing I got going on is going to be slowed up by my opinion. So uh, the truth is we had to do what we had to do for us. The whole situation is a situation where you got to do what you got to do for you. Yes, there are some connectors and some people who move with some honor and some dignity, and, and they did what they were supposed to do, and they don't got no smut on their name, and they know who they are. They know what their relationships are. They know where they land when the, when the confetti falls. But there's a lot of people who know what's up on the other side, too. So uh, I, I, I look at it like um, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, you know, this is a town where our grandparents came up from Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Great grandparents came up from Mississippi. Some folks, they migrated. They said, we got to get up off mm -hmm. these plantations. We got to go. Sharecropping down here ain't working. You know what I mean? My mama even was a part of, my mom and her, my aunts even were working fields well into their childhood. And my mother's light-skinned, so she sat back and watched her sisters work the fields sometimes. So I understand this dilemma that, that where people say slavery had a cutoff point. Man, we ain't even a few, we're not even a generation removed from folks who was out there laboring for white folks. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you dealing with this place, you dealing with folks who, when you come here dealing with black people, it's important to understand we haven't gotten over slavery. Y'all can get over slavery. You live in cities that got skyscrapers and, uh, you know, pretty people and folks there can go to the dentist and they can they got jobs possibly that's better than what we got here. We ain't got nothing here. East St. Louis got a 1% employment rate. So 
these are folks who migrated off them plantations, like I was saying, man. And uh, St. Louis represented a place for black folks to go, somewhere where we could go. And you just knew it was going to be some other black people there. It wasn't perfect, mm -hmm. but you just knew, hey, we could, if we could get there, we're going to find some folks and be okay. So uh, what we have now in this new era is the fact that we live in a, in a globalist society. And if I'm a young so-called millennial uh, activist, why would I live in a place that actually has a harsh winter for the sake of proving some type of uh, mythological political line that, that's still theoretical? You know what I'm saying? I, why would I do that? Why would I live in a place uh, where, uh, you know, it, I can't live the life that, that, that is being matriculated through Instagram right now? living living here mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying to live here and do this work you're making the decision a principled decision right to align with a certain set of values you're making a principled decision to involve yourself in a straight up generational back and forth discourse and um that's not a dis and i see that in all over the country in different smaller cities you mm -hmm. know what i'm saying where the the hype flies over these these towns and it doesn't land there and it takes uh, people who are willing to uh, to sacrifice to stay there. Wesley Bell sat right there as well. And what he said was, he said when he was teaching, he said he still sees it. He said this whole generation of people are like, yo, I'm trying to get graduate and leave. Yeah. And he said, we have to create a situation where the next generation isn't leaving. He said, because if they leave, he said, you got a brain drain. He said, your best and brightest are leaving. They're going to other places, building up those places. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're just unwilling uh, to stay. Yeah. And, and, and that was, and, and as, as he was talking about that, you know, as somebody who is from, I mean, again, Harris still right across the street. Mm -hmm. As somebody who grew up in Houston, mm -hmm. where you have the HBCU, Texas Southern University. Mm -hmm. Prairie View is uh, 50 miles down the road. The reality is, folks, matriculate to those places would come back home. Mm -hmm. What he was saying is, they're like, no, I got to leave, which, which makes what you're describing even harder because in, in essence, your potential troops are going somewhere else. And then you stack the reality of it. You know what I'm saying? The reality of the situation for me is, yeah, I went, I went off to Harvard for four years, but when I, every time I came home, my lady had to pick me up with the pistol in the car, period. Don't come, don't come get me if my strap ain't in the car. I don't give a damn about all that Ivy League stuff because these niggas out here don't give a damn about it. And, and the political class hasn't set up the situation enough to make them give a damn about it. It's just, and that's what I see going on right now, even uh, in this mayoral race. Um, and I see it in every major political race in St. Louis. Uh, there's people, uh, are, are doing their best like fake ass Barack Obama uh, change w without landing it. Like, like when I listen to a lot of stuff that people are saying, I want to know the method in which you seek to accomplish your goals. Mm -hmm. I don't give a damn about the rhetoric. And it puts a person like me who's always pushing back against the symbolic rhetoric. I'm always pushing back against the political theater. It puts me in a very awkward position sometimes. And it puts the people that mob with me in the awkward position mm -hmm. sometimes because we can't wait for you to uh, tell us what's going on. If you're running for mayor, I need to know who's going to be in office with you pulling strings. Who, who's coming along for the ride? Right. Give me the actual agenda. 
I don't need the, uh, you know, just the, the stylistic talking points. It is it, interesting that uh, you say that. So I was sitting here um, and I sent this to uh, some friends of mine uh, to get their uh, perspective. Um, and they were like, yo, is Tef okay? And I said, I said, well, I'll be talking to him tomorrow. So I, 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 I already I'll, know what y'all talking about. I'll let y'all know. And, and I was cracked and I was, and I wanted to see that. I wanted to gauge their reaction. Yeah. Yeah. I purposely wanted to gauge their reaction to see, uh, and is when you, you were tweeting about, um, Biden mm-hmm. and your whole, your whole deal was, was look, this is the deal. And, and I saw it. This is your open line. I hate Joe Biden. <laughs> Top of the year ain't been shit besides being in the mud for me, grind through the bullshit. I hate him and Kamala. I don't even care about the unfollows, this goners. You can buy followers. That shit doesn't matter. My life matters. Motherfuckers want you to be happy while you're taking the stick up the ass from these people simply because they made history. The history they made together is a white supremacist account of history anyways. So fuck them both. And you go on and on and on. <laughs> then you go complete reformation of the old establishment. Clinton, Obama, Biden, Kerry. I'm tired of it. If I didn't have much to live for, I legit commit suicide to get out of this nightmare. Is fucking bullshit, man. What was your phone like yeah. after you posted that? It's, I take it you got a few text messages. A lot of them. A lot of phone calls. A lot of texts. The thing about me, man, I'm making a commitment in 2021. Uh, to speak my truth. Because I see people say things that I disagree with all the time. And I have to position uh, myself to to be a person that explains their lunacy to people who don't agree. And uh, I think that this year should be a year where uh, we got to do away with the Obama Shakur stuff, where everybody want to quote a side of Shakur. We want to screen defund the police. But during the inauguration, we talking about how good Barack and Michelle look. Like, what, what is the, where's the sophistication behind y'all politics? That's what I'm mm-hmm. asking. Who really represents what they're actually verbalizing? And, and, and I, I just want to see that. Like, it, everybody don't got to be a black radical. There's, 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 a, 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 there's levels to everybody's political spectrum, mm-hmm. obviously. I'm not, you know, I'm not that crazy. But what I'm saying is this. How am I supposed to move the needle sitting next to a person who for all intents and purposes uh, seeks to reaffirm the establishment when I plain and simply do not. And then you're gonna tell me that there, there is not a cadre of people within the black society that feel the same way. Uh, we keep perpetuating the myth that black folks ain't ready for real change. Black folks ain't ready for revolution. Black folks ain't, ain't ready for self-governance. Black folks ain't mm-hmm. ready for this. Black folks ain't ready that. We ain't ready for that because a lot of you niggas is trying to get jobs. A lot of you niggas want to be a part of these administrations. You know what I'm saying? They're not your enemy. You don't live in a city where you got to walk the ground and got, you don't got dead cousins in the ground that you walk on every day. So I don't expect for you to feel me. You'll never feel me. As you were talking, I, I thought about um, the first, it's probably the first 60, I got to see when I wrote it, probably the first 60 days of the Obama presidency. And I get a phone call, um, Valerie Jarrett. <laughs> and she says, I just left the Oval Office and the president's upset with you. I said, all right, what are you mad for? She says, well, you wrote this piece on CNN.com 
criticizing the lack of black folks in the press office. Say Robert Gibbs came in, he was upset, uh, you know, had it, and Obama felt like an attack on his press office is an attack on him. I said, what did I tell you before y'all won? I said, didn't I tell you that if the White House press office is as white as the campaign is, we were going to have a problem? He says, yeah. I said, did I, say, didn't I tell you I was going to say something? She said, yeah. I said, so I'm just trying to understand why, why y'all upset. I told you what I was going to do. And then, and she's like, well, what should we do? I said, go hire some more damn black people. My point, and, and what's interesting is a lot of people who, t- who, who say, oh, man, you know, you gave Obama a free ride. I was like, mm, y'all might want to roll the tape <laughs> because I never got invited yeah, yeah. to any of his, his or Michelle's birthday parties. I never got invited to the Prince one. I didn't get invited to the last one. I wasn't on those lists. And it was because my whole deal was I was pushing just as hard during the campaign because I said I wasn't elated that we just because we had the first black president. I said he also was the 44th. And a lot of people really got caught up in, you know, we can't say anything. And I said, no, I said, this return on investment. <laughs> I said, well, I didn't put all that work in just to say, ooh, and I use this phrase all the time. I think African-Americans, we stayed at the inauguration parade when mm-hmm. everybody else left. Mm-hmm. We were so just hyped to see a first black family. And then when I saw all the pieces even later, and I disagree with the Ta-Nehisi Coates piece, 8,000 words, one or two paragraphs on policy. Mm. It was all about how, how he made us feel. I'm like, damn, feel, I feel great. Mm-hmm. I feel great to be a black man. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that to me is how we have to keep pushing folks to say, no, 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 no. You have to deliver something Facts. if you're going to have the power. Facts. Otherwise, why have the power? And it's just like, you know what I'm saying, what's the difference in the behaviors? Like, Okay, uh, one person is outwardly racist and the other one is uh, signing a trillion dollar bill before his ass even touched a chair. Your family gonna get what, 1,600, 1,400 maybe? And y'all cheering? Y'all in the streets hosting a parade for what? We still burying people. Talking about a vaccine, you ain't got no access to the vaccine. If it, we don't even, now we don't even know if it works because we let Trump put it on the market. So it's just, all, it's just like for real, like people looking at me like I'm the crazy one. No, America. Is the insane project. I'm not the one that's insane. The insanity, the container of the insanity is this thing that you want to pretend is a democracy. That's the, where we let American Airlines and Delta and United Airlines pre-select the president and then we act like we actually selected it. I'm not the crazy one. Do you think for African-Americans where we are right now that there is an unwillingness to use the playbook that was used before, which was the classic inside, outside, internal, external. What I mean by that is Mm -hmm. everybody can't be at the inside table. Somebody has to be outside threatening so the people on the inside say, now you really ought to make this move. Facts. Because they ain't playing. Mm-hmm. 
I think, and I and I and I say, I say this publicly, so I don't, this ain't nothing new. That the problem is everybody wanted to be inside in eight years of Obama. The same thing. People talk about, man, you trying to get a job with Biden Harris. I'm like, I've never wanted to work for any politician because <laughs> I'm outside. I yeah. can use my voice the way I want to yeah, yeah. to push. That to me, I think, whether we talk in St. Louis, whether we talk in the state capitol, whether we talking about the country, anyway. is that we have to fully embrace the inside outside game and understand that if those two forces are not working together, Facts. you're not going to maximize whatever it is you're trying to get. The problem is that the inside outside game is only supremely effective in black American politics during presidential elections. That's when the outside niggas and the inside niggas is all talking. We all in the same chat groups. We all exchanging the same strategies, the same wherewithal. Even me and you, we might come from a slight difference of politics, but we talk outside of elections. Right. You feel what I'm well, saying? No, 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 no. I'm going to correct you. We don't talk outside of elections. We talk outside of presidential elections because I'm constantly going, okay, which is why I came to St. Louis. I was in Georgia and I was like, all right, Osaf won, Warnock won. I went, all right, what's happened in 2021? All right, oh, St. Louis mayoral race. Mm -hmm. All right, I need to get there. Mm -hmm. There's a gubernatorial race in Virginia. Two black folks are running for governor. You got a brother who's running for lieutenant governor. Boom, we're going to be there. Okay, what other races are going on? Because mm -hmm. I'm try constantly trying to get our people to understand that power is not all about D.C. Mm -hmm. It's state capitals. It's county. Mm -hmm. It's city. And if we're not putting that lens on it mm -hmm. to get our folks to understand that you can make Maynard Jackson type moves here in St. Louis that has nothing to do with Biden Harris. Mm -hmm. Facts. But if you don't pay, if you don't focus on it, Facts. then we get screwed and, up. And that's that's where I so that's where a lot of my uh, tensions come from, right? It ain't the fact that I, I understand that we gonna have a certain we got a, democ a democracy. It exists. People got to vote. Somebody gonna be in the seat regardless. I get all that. What I'm saying is. Uh, the electoral folks on the national uh, POTUS level walk away from the table, from the streets, when they get what they want. You use us to change the narrative. You use us to get you in the barbershops when, when your candidate needs the votes. You use us to get in the church. You use us to throw these corny vote-or-die parties. You use us. You use us. You use us. You use us. The day after the election, you get what you want. The deals are brokered, and we're not included. This has been happening since the 1960s. And uh, when you look back at history, like when uh, Martin Luther King got killed, uh, them white folks in the Oval Office had to get on the phone with some black people because this country was going to turn. And it was mm -hmm. going to turn up over on his stomach. And they had to get on the phone with some folks. And, you know, it, it made something as simple as uh, the president having to call James Brown. He had to get on the phone. James, where you at? I know you're just singing and dancing, you just, but, but your people clowning, man. Get to the White House. I need James Brown. Ain't, man, I don't want to go to no damn White House, but he went. You know what I'm saying? And 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 so this is the we we I think that you know. I just want to put us back in the position where we are clearly serious. No matter where we engage at, if we're gonna engage over here for reparations, let's do it serious. If we're gonna engage over here to put this candidate in office and we're gonna all lot ourselves and say this is the last dance, then let's do it seriously then. So it actually is the last dance. And we actually do get some things up out of the deal. I had a, um, was interesting with this conversation, the, the, the battle that I have with a 
whole bunch of people is, and I keep saying this, and what I keep arguing is, and I, and I spent six years at CNN. Mm-hmm. I've worked in mainstream newspapers. And that's fine. I mean, I, I don't, and I say, I don't begrudge anybody who's at ESPN, Stephen A. making 8 million, solid. Robin, Robin Roberts making 15, 18 million at ABC, solid. Strahan, Al Roker, whatever. I said, but if you look at our history, if we do not have our own communications mechanisms and we're having to go through somebody else's media to tell our story, I said, we DOA. And I believe that that's really, for me, I, I believe that's one of the reasons why uh, we're in the situation that we're in mm. is that and of the black, black targeted or mm. black even owned mediums that we have, we're actually getting so much entertainment, gossip, and sports, they, they're not even talking about issues. <laughs> and then we wonder why people walk around confused. Yeah. Like you, I don't invite no housewives on my show. Mm. I'm not trying to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And they wanna, they wanna watch it somewhere else, that's great. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think what you're describing if you do not have a black-centered, black-owned, black-controlled mm-hmm. apparatus, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. none of this is gonna happen. Facts. Yeah, you need multiple black-owned apparatuses across the board. Um, but what you're speaking on is sophistication. Uh, what you're speaking on is taking risk. What you're speaking on is sacrifice. What you're speaking on is uh, actually putting yourself in the mud to be in whatever positionality you play in this society you got to make a choice to say i'm going to roll over and let these white folks come in here and do what they do or i'm going to at least choose to be a a a resistor in this component where i where i do my thing i'm going to resist i reside with the resistors i'm if you find me i'm going to be with the people who if i'm washing dishes we dropping dishes if i'm if i'm delivering pieces we taking some back to to pookie and ray ray because we know they ain't got no food at the house if whatever i'm doing I'm never in the position to reaffirm a goddamn thing that they got going on. And I don't care how I play it. I don't care what I put on. I don't care what suit, what tie I put on. I don't care how clean I look for the day. I don't care how prestigious I talk for the day. If I'm in the building, black folks getting something out the deal. That is, uh, it, I was at a, uh, <laughs> I was at a, I was at a, uh, it was a um, charter school conference. <laughs> and so they had this, this meeting. It's like all of the money folks. Mm-hmm. And it's like 30 people in the meeting. And it's two black people. And um, they were very excited that I was supportive of school choice. And I told them point blank. I said, my initiative is called, it's called school choice is the black choice. And so I'm sitting here. I said, let me explain something to y'all. I said, this is why I support school choice. Mm. I want black people controlling the charter schools on black people controlling the curriculum mm-hmm. on black people controlling the contracts that's what i want i want us controlling the education of our children mm-hmm. so we sit in the meeting and i'm talking and so it was one latino guy in the meeting he's in california sitting on the end he goes you know i keep hearing all this black stuff but you know i'm about diversity about latino i said say man <laughs> i said you are more than welcome to launch School choice is the Latino choice. Mm-hmm. Roland's here for black people. Mm-hmm. 
I said, I'm going to tell everybody, everybody in this room, y'all can't do anything in this movement without black people. Y'all can't get a meeting with the black caucus. Mm. I said, I can call a frat meeting. I said, I got seven alphas who are members of Congress. Y'all can't even get that meeting. I said, so I'm telling y'all right now, this movement ain't going nowhere without black people. So Mary Landrieu, former U.S. senator from Louisiana, she raised her hand. She's like, let me go ahead and say uh, everything he's saying correct. And I just let them know. And they were all sort of like shell-shocked. And my whole deal is, I don't owe nobody here jack. Right, right. I wanted them to understand that, and there are black people who don't, who disagree with me over school choice. I'm like, I don't care. If there is a mechanism where we can control the whole school, the curriculum, the money, who we hire, I'm gonna take advantage of it. But my point to them was, I'm here for black people. And I wasn't apologizing for it. And I think part, I think it's a whole bunch of us who are actually scared to go there. They think, I, they think white folks invincible. They think America is an unshakable concept. They think white people are unbeatable. They think white people can't be rolled on, smashed on, and defeated, and left where they at. But you got to realize these people are human. They, they immortalize white folks. You know what I'm saying? They immortalize uh, the mass incarceration dilemma. They immortalize uh, the, the uh, prison industrial complex. You feel me? Like They think that, they, that it got to be this way because they because if it shifts even a little bit, in their mind, they just as American as goddamn apple pie. Lou, I had a brother who literally told me, that's why I had my TV one show. He literally said, man, when you gonna get your own show? Mm. <laughs> I said, I'm on five days a week, every, two hours a day, every morning. He said, no, no, bro. He said, I mean a real show. I said, a, a, a real show? He said, I, I mean, a real show. He said, you know, I mean, like, you know, MSNBC, you know, CNN. Yeah. He said, I mean, like, a real show. And I said, and Brian Williams was, this was before the whole plagiarism and all that sort of stuff happened. He was the NBC Nightly News anchor. I said, brother, he said, do you know that when Brian Williams comes to D.C., he sits in the same chair I sit in? Mm. I said, I said, there's a table, a clear table to the left. On the bottom is a bristle brush and a mirror. I said, Brian, we don't use no bristle brush. I said, that's the brush I use. I said, the walls, the cameras, the fiber optic line. I said, here's what you don't realize. TV One, we said, we contract the studio with NBC News Channel. I said, so you just said I didn't have a real show without realizing that the studio I use is a NBC mm. studio. Yeah, I remember I came out there too, an NBC studio. This, bro, and he would, no, man, my bad. I said, no, 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 no. I said, you have got it in your mind that because it's on a black network, mm -hmm. it's not real. Mm -hmm. I think when you talk about immortalizing whiteness, the power of white supremacy has been so devastating that part of this issue we're dealing with is this extreme desire for white validation. In many ways, it's the black artists who wanted to cross over. It's the people who shun Tyler Perry and they over here yelling, howling and screaming. But Tyler, like, I just built my own 250 acre uh, whole studio. It is this, it is this entire, what I keep saying is, 
there has there should be a massive reprogramming of black America. I, I just think that that until that's really has, what the strategy has to be a reprogramming to say we cannot continue to operate with this notion of white validation that drives everything in our community. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think, you know, a lot of that comes from the fact that uh, it's just plain and simply systematic. And a lot of brothers are still dumb, deaf, and blind. You know what I'm saying? Like the five percentage will call them dumb, deaf, and blind. They dumb, deaf, and blind. When I hear niggas talking this crazy stuff, you dumb, deaf, and blind. You don't, you don't know what you need to know to have a fully informed view of what's going on. So you ignorant to the facts for real. You ignorant to the real facts. So, uh, and that, and we all have, have moments like that. So I try not to judge brothers or ancestors and whoever uh, when they have some ignorance pertaining to things because that ignorance uh, sets up an opportunity for education. Right. If you want to embrace that education. Right. Don't shut them down. Just simply say, hey, you know what you're saying right now. Mm -hmm. That shit ain't true. Mm -hmm. Right. And then hear the facts. Right, right. So hopefully after we have some real dialogue about it, you move forward and know what's really going on. But um, man, that's a part of the thing too. A lot of black folks have an issue with, with the language that uh, we use in black politics. They don't want to be identified as poor. They don't want to be identified as being oppressed. They don't want to be identified as like uh, being a person that's navigating the society as a victim or victimized by what's going on. And uh, I think what people like, like ourselves are saying is we're not saying any of that. We're not saying that you're a victim. We're not saying that you're downtrodden. We're actually saying the opposite. We're saying due to the fact that you have went through this. We have went through it worse than any group of people that has ever went heads up with, with the United States. And you got to really acknowledge the fact that any major social changes that have happened in this society, in, a, in the United States society, the, the, the container of the USA, black, so-called black Americans sparked that change, mm -hmm. period. Right. Period. We've been involved in every aspect of uh, social justice, every aspect of- Oh, it's not, it's, it's not even, it's not even, it's not even- uh, Do folks here feel that- That, 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 that there is something else going on here? Man. The, you, we deal with a lot of the, here's the reality too. I'm not gonna absorb the black movement uh, as a as an industry of its responsibility to that. And I'm not talking about the movement, the organic movement, where the people walk outside and say, we believe that we can turn this thing over. I'm talking about the movement that has people filling out W9s and W2s every year. I'm not gonna absorb that movement of its uh, responsibility to that, to that situation. I refuse to, because it's it's no different than uh, what the music industry does, where they come find some people that's in the hood, uh, we, we pump them up, we pump them up, we pump them up, we pump them up. Um, it's, it's so, so long as they choose to have a certain functionality to, to what we need. Now, the second they get empowered enough to say, you know, I got the, I got the mojo, I got the swag, I can go out here and do what I need to do without y'all. They left on their own. So uh, a lot of those people that are not here mm -hmm. were living in situations right. that... Uh, regular people have to endure with millions of people knowing who they are now mm -hmm. and, and no no infrastructure around them to protect them uh you know folks having to work regular jobs after they built such a massive moment still trying to figure out how to feed their mama still right. still trying to figure out where is that next dollar coming from that next piece of bread so a lot of these situations are situations that yeah these people are very popular people because of the movement 
but they regular folks still. And they living in, in, in regular situations that regular black folks are living in. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these niggas in the movement ain't living in regular black folk situations. So when some real shit happen, they're my, oh, how could this happen? How, what, what's going on? We live like black people live. I don't know if y'all forgot, we have a radical dilemma. We have a murder rate that's, that's cracking the ceiling. We have an STD rate that's cracking the ceiling. People, it ain't, it ain't Mayberry around here. Shorty two blocks away giving head $35 a pop to pay her Amarin bill. You niggas forgot. We didn't forget. We still here dealing with it. I still got to look these people in the eye. And some of what I'm making up for is yo, yo fuck up. It ain't mine. Mm-hmm. So some of what I'm making up for ain't even the blood that I put on the concrete. So uh, a lot of us with a certain positionality to real situations have been far too kind to a lot of these motherfuckers. When you talked about not absolving them of responsibility, we, we've seen that in other cities where black activists have committed suicide. Um, brothers in Columbus, there was another sister I had a mom on, um, and she was in North Carolina, came up missing. They discovered she actually took her own life. Also think of folks don't realize the level and the intensity, the pressure that comes with being an activist. That, you know, it's just like we, people, we, we, we quote King and people talk about, you know, this speech, that speech, not realizing he suffered massive depression. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that march, True. that march in Memphis, Man, where the cats in the back, that Memphis march took King out. In they grabbed him, took him, took him to the hotel, put him in a. He is in the bed under the covers, yeah. fully closed, and sunk into an yeah. immediate yeah. depression over yeah. what happened. Yeah. I was reading Nick Cox's book on LBJ and King. LBJ suffered massive depression. So I'm reading this book and I'm going, wait a minute. You got two titans, President Lyndon Baines Johnson, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., these two major figures who both were suffering massive depression. That also is something that I think that that we have to be cognizant of. We are demanding activists put it on the line. And then when it and then when stuff gets done, folk move on, not realizing that they still are paying a price for what uh, they had to endure. Yeah, you spent two summers yelling at the police, spitting at the police. And, you know, this motherfucker from New York put the battery in your back to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? They gone now. You driving down Wash Ave, that cop remember you from talking all that crazy stuff. Y'all finna have a real conversation. You or a real encounter. You in a real situation now. Ain't no damn uh, jail bailout line to call. Ain't no damn lawyers on speed dial. Ain't no damn CNN and NBC putting the camera in your face to expose it. You in a real situation now, straight up. And you're going to end up down there at that justice center with them brothers is busting out the windows real quick. So it's just like, you know, what? all I'm saying is this, dog. Um, black people in, in mass are looking for a political exoneration from the fake stuff. Mm. We want to see 
something real. And I'm not calling nothing that existed before now fake or nothing like that. But what I'm saying is the, we, we we're supposed to advance in our politics as mm -hmm. we grow. We're supposed to advance in our worldview as men, as women, as people with alternative identities. However you rocking, mentally, you're supposed to advance. And I'm saying that now we, we have a clear understanding of the, uh, the square dance and the rodeo that we've been playing with these folks. We, we, we voted for Barack twice, this generation. Uh, Trump got in there, he got up out of there. You got your new moderate, almost Republican Democratic president. You got your first black woman, sort of, vice president. Now, okay, so, so, so cool, you did that. But there's still politics being delegated in these communities. Mm -hmm. There's still political issues in these communities. What, Valentine's Day? A whole entire car came crashing into my living room. I'm chilling in my living room, a car came crashing into my living room. Within the blink of an eye, I got 20, 30 brothers from my organization in my lawn. We gotta protect each other. We have that understanding. I don't even gotta blink. They gonna come when I, when I need them. I can't say that for the rest of these spaces. You feel what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I can't say that. And I'm, and I'm hurt by the fact that I can't say it if I'm being real with you because I take you serious right. when you tell me you're showing up for us. Right. I believe you when you say you're coming through for us. I take it. I take your word as, your, as, as straight up what it is. And I ain't never gave my word to none of these people and broke it. If I said I was coming, I came. Mm -hmm. If I said I was on that line with you, I was on that line with you. If you disagree with something I did, you could confront me about it. And I said in that shit. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. and, and, and so now we're in a position now where I, I can't. I can't coddle motherfuckers just because uh, they don't they don't know what the real life is like. That's not my problem. My problem is the 12 year old kids walking around my neighborhood that's gonna break into somebody's house and get their head blown off because his guns all over this this place, and he he need an opportunity. He needs some mentor, some mentorship. They need something, resources, and I, I just don't have time. I, the war machine, the death machine is is moving at such a rapid pace. Right. I don't have no more time to play with people. As you were saying that, I merely thought back to when Ferguson, when Ferguson jumped off. And there were people, I was at the Jeffrey Osborne Golf Classic. And there were people who were there. They were like, why the hell are you not on the ground? What they didn't realize, and I said it, and they thought, what they didn't realize is, we had no infrastructure to broadcast mm. remotely at TV One. They didn't have it. Mm. And I was saying that. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to explain to people. I'm like, y'all, we literally, they don't have it. And I can't believe that other people are. I'm like, other people <laughs> might have it. I'm, sorry, I'm trying to tell y'all, we don't have it. Mm -hmm. And we went through that. And I pressed them. I pushed them. I'm like, yo, we got to be able to have this sort of stuff. So when I, when I launched this platform, we have it. We can go live. We, we, can, we, can, we can go here. We, we have the technology. We're using it. That to me, as you were talking about, will you show up? I'm actually expanding that even more so. I think what, what, what you are saying, what other people are saying is to black organizations, to individual black leaders, to black media to black 
athletes to black, the whole like infrastructure is, are you going to show up or are you going to show up and only show out mm-hmm. and then leave? Mm-hmm. And I think where we are, and I've been on this kick about organizational infrastructure, is that we have massive infrastructure. We've got organizations. Mm-hmm. We've got all this stuff. We ready. We got resources. On paper, we ready, dog. But they are not fully understanding the power. I, one of my brothers power. just, and when I say the power, one of my brothers just, uh, the lodge in DC, they, they said, we're going make, to make you um, an ambassador mm. for the Masons. I said, okay. He said, now, all right, what are we going to do now? Mm. I said, what do you mean? I said, Prince Hall of Masons. I said, how are we leveraging our national international power? Mm-hmm. How are we moving on people? I'm telling the alphas. I said, if you live in a city and black and gold, brothers in black and gold show up and nobody knows why y'all are dressed alike, I said, that's on us. I said, we should be moving on school board meetings, moving on city council meetings, moving on county commissioner meetings, moving on state capitals, Facts. moving on <laughs> Congress. I said, yeah. pink and green, red and white. Yeah. I said, we should have, I said, I said, we should have armies mm-hmm. saying, okay, alphas, Y'all got the school board meeting in January, Capus. Y'all got the county commissioner meeting in January, AKs. Y'all got this. Then we gonna rotate the next month. I said we got all this infrastructure that's not, as far as I'm concerned, not being properly Man, moved. You can say that about every every aspect of black organization, um, but the, the real is. Uh, we need to be in organizations. You know what I'm saying? It's people. It's people that are. So we call Michael said that. We had we we. I, it's hard for me to take you take you serious if you're not a member of no form of an organization. Stokely said, "You cannot find a single African American who's done things for black people that was not part of an organization." So this this like you this single entity who is a leader that don't I, that I ain't never seen how that worked. You got to be in an organization, bro. Um, and if you and if you're not in one because you don't trust organizations, cool. Take the four or five people that you spitball this stuff with all the time and, and brain dump with this stuff with and formulate an organization. Um, I'm a part of this thing called Black Men Build. We call it BMB for short. Uh, prior to that, I was a part of Hands Up United. Uh, prior to that, I was a part of some other organizations. Uh, my rap crew. We function like an organization. We treat each other like we're in an organized formation. I just believe in the power of organization. And in the United States, you see the power of organization every day. A corporation, that's an organization. Right. A record label, that's an organization. Uh, that restaurant that won't hire you, they're organized. Mm-hmm. You the one that's not organized. That's why mm-hmm. you can't get nothing up out of them. So like, uh, I don't trust people that, that flee from organization. Um, and I don't trust people who, uh, uh, in my new space where I exist, I don't trust folks who say uh, that we're in a leaderless movement, uh, as they as they talking point, because we ain't in no damn leaderless movement. That that that, and, and see, I understand where people are coming from with that, 
because well, my thing is you gotta be careful man because at some point your theory becomes an all-out lie see see I, if you're not careful your theory becomes a lie and we don't have we're not in a leaderless movement currently that's just a lie but the other thing is this here okay that sound cute <laughs> but the reality is somebody <laughs> gotta make the call though we're not man it's, it's so like if 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 i'm sitting here so it's it's uh it's it's seven of us in here <laughs> If we say, all right, let's go get something to eat. Somebody got to say, this is where we're going. And we can sit here and go back. What do you think? 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 This whole deal of, well, no, we're going to achieve it by consensus. No. Leadership means somebody has to make the call. Somebody got to fall on the sword. <laughs> and, and here's what happens. Due to this myth of the leaderless thing going on, the wrong people end up falling on the sword. Because the government don't believe that this is a leaderless movement. Uh, the NBA don't believe that this is a leaderless movement. Nike don't believe that this is a leaderless movement. Essence Magazine don't believe that this is a leaderless movement. I could go on and on. The only people that believe this is a leaderless movement are the leaders of the movement. So, <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it's just bizarre, you know what I'm saying? And I want to have faith in people's humanity enough to, to, to believe that... Uh, these are just uh, malfunctioning pieces of of, of 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 what they built or what we built collectively. Uh, that that kind of just didn't tighten on loose tight enough as we were building it. You know what I'm saying? I, I believe that this new this new era of the movement has been built while it was flying, and a lot of times one of the wings might have came off, and somebody might have to go outside on that deck and pull that wing and, and hold it closer to the body of the plane. Uh, so. Uh, I have a lot of mercy in, in that space. So when I speak my opinions, I ain't talking down on people as human beings. I'm talking down on the politics. And I got a right to talk down on the politics because I'm a black man who lives in America and everything that influences my life, whether I like it or not, is politics. I don't have a choice in the matter. Right. So as, as I constantly keep, I, keep I, I say it, I say, y'all, I say, y'all holler all that stuff. Government has no role in my life. I say, guess what? Your birth certificate is a government document. You get married, Straight government up. document. When you get your immunization shots, that's a government document. Straight up. <laughs> Divorce certificate, government document. I said death, death certificate, <laughs> government document. I said, so if, if, if government got you from the moment you born to the moment you died, I said, you better be understanding how you're going to change public policy. So, so this notion of I can just check out. <laughs> And it's not going to have any bearing on my life. I'm like, you are out, outside. In the words of my man, and remember the Titan, you outside your mind. Mm. Mm. Yeah, man. It, but th that's like, uh, I, I had interviewed, a, I teach a class uh, at this university called I Live University um, with this, uh, my co-instructor, Dr. Jennifer Leaf, uh, out of Denver, Colorado. And um, one of the brothers, he's a horn player by the name of uh, Donald Malloy. He go by the name of Wave Magnetic. He, we, we talked to him this week and he said, you know, he didn't believe that, you know, politics was, he's not a very political guy, but everything coming out of his mouth was deeply political. Right. So, you know, in, in the course of that conversation, I was trying to throw him some lobs for him to understand, like, bro, I feel you. You, you just want to make your music. You just living your life. 
that's reflective of how a lot of black people live right right now. You know right what I'm even in my organization i got black we not no man, crazy maniacal organization that right. we're going to see storming the capital tomorrow but all we saying is we just trying to obtain power for our people we're right. trying to have a sophisticated agenda we're trying to move ourselves closer to uh, a general consensus with black folk all over the world so uh i understand that uh man me making a decision to come here is a political decision me me waking up this morning uh, turning on the water and being able to take a shower. That's a political implication. That's a political decision. That's something that's attached to a politic. That water running through that pipe. Me being charged for that water. That's Flint. The privatization of that water. That's right. The access to that water or not. Like what they going through down there right now in Texas with Ted Cruz. It, it, it's it, these we gotta wake up and understand. Right. Like we study saying it ain't political. They study saying it's hella political. Right, right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, and that's and that's the thing, man, where where um, even like I, I, I've been in. I got folks who we've been going at it because they're like, man, I don't get why you ain't going half reparation. I said, let me be clear. I said, you need 218 in the House, you need 60 in the Senate. I said, show me the pathway to show it to me. I said, you got Joe Manchin saying, under no circumstance, I'm going to get rid of the filibuster. Mm. I said, it's a 50-50 tie. Mm. I said, if, if him and Sienema don't, don't fold on, on, on the uh, filibuster, there's no George Floyd Justice Act. There's no John Lewis Voting Act. So all these voter suppression laws being passed by Republicans don't get passed. Mm -hmm. I said, so. I, so I told this cat, I said, now, if, I said, I said, can I make the argument reparations? Yes. Can I walk through the history? Yes. I said, I'm speaking of the cold, hard, political mm -hmm. facts. Mm -hmm. Do you have 218 and 60 in the president who's going to sign it? Mm -hmm. I said, now, where am I about to spend my time? I said, I'm 52. I got more years behind me than in front of me. I said, I'm going for the money that sits there right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I said, there's a billion dollars being spent every year on media advertising the federal government. Mm -hmm. Black people, we're getting 1%. Mm -hmm. I said, I want 15, at least 15. Mm -hmm. I said, that's taking us from 10 million a year to 110 million a year. To 150 million a year. I want the Pentagon contracts. I want the commerce contracts. I said, I want HHS. I want USDA. I said, now, I'm not telling you how to spend your time. Mm -hmm. What I am telling you is, I'm going to go after the money that's right there today while you trying to get the 218. Mm -hmm. What I'm not going to do is pass up the billions today. I said, trying to get to 218 and they said and i said and we i said we can do both at the same time i said but just understand mm -hmm. i'm saying we can go for this money right now because the problem is not enough trying to go for the money right now yeah or even know what the hell i'm even talking about yeah. that's why when i keep having these cats on the show i'm like yo mm -hmm. i'm trying to show you here is the money right now right. that we ain't getting right i feel you on that um and the reality of it too man is that um Capitalism is a complicated beast, and it's been whooping our ass since we showed up. So it's like um, even our. Well, first of all, we created capitalism. We are its, its best product. We created. <laughs> the reality is, they didn't truly understand. I mean, my my, my man Gerald Horn argues that uh, that the American Revolution was really because the thirteen colonies were afraid that England was going to get rid of slavery. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. bottom line is. We created the system that they have been they, they have been playing off of. As my man John Hope Bright always says, he said, he said, if you want, he said, the only way to give money away like a socialist is to make it 
like a capitalist. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, John, that was it. I mean, we all know <laughs> all of these systems, man, for real, come from us anyway. It, even the, the 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 origins of capitalism, not even going too deep, just historically, that's, right. that's ancient comedic stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like the real way that it's supposed to function versus the way that they came and hijacked it like they do everything else and make it work how they want it to work. But the real way that it, it functions was, you know, we, got, we go back eons if we're going to do it the real way. But um, what you... Still, a position uh, pre presenting is a is a conversation about the another reality that that we're battling. You know what I'm saying? And people, go, man, this interview, a lot of people won't take offense to a lot of stuff I said. <laughs> I'm but, used to it. Uh, <laughs> the thing is, they all they, they revolutionaries who ain't got no guns, so I ain't got nothing to fear, no way. But uh, the thing is, um, we have now uh, positioned ourselves to be dealing with a black leftist bourgeoisie class of folks that if we were in the middle of South African apartheid, we'd be running these folks up out of town. Um, and I'm not saying that as a person that's against making money. I'm not against feeding my family at all. I'm a, I'm a businessman on, on a whole nother level than the average person who does mm -hmm. what I do. But uh, I understand that uh, if I'm not empowering the people around me, if I can't take the brothers that's with me and say, hey, bro, when I shop, you shop. There you go. When I cop, you cop. When I rock, you rock. When I when I leave, you leave. If, if I'm getting on a plane, you getting on a plane. Uh, that don't exist a lot of times. So um, this, this, that's that one. Is that's that one situation. I had a sister who told me uh, she's in corporate America. She said she took this cat was like, you know, it's lonely at the top. She said, that's your fault. She person like, what you mean? She said, if you ever say is lonely at the top, you didn't bring nobody with you. Mm -hmm. She said, that's your fault. And this cat was like, I can't believe you're going there. But that's the whole point. The whole point is, if, you, if you're going to create something, build something, it shouldn't be where you're the one Man, who's getting paid. That's because these niggas believe in exceptional Negro syndrome still, bro. You know, I saw it a lot when I was out there at Harvard. Uh, a brother would get hired for, a, 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 you know, they would make the announcement that they bring in a brother. Three weeks later, brother got a whole sex scandal. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because he thought he was invincible enough to do what them white boys do. He thought that he could reaffirm the patriarchy, the misogyny, and all that shit that them white niggas reaffirmed. He thought he could go in there and do the same damn thing. And and, that, and the white folks showed you, no, nah, you can't do what we do. You can't do what we do. You're not even a part of our class of folks. What are you talking about? You you out of your mind. We brought you here for this. You come in here and do this. Well, you can't do none of that. that right. That's off the menu for you. So then they find themselves looking stupid. Got to go home and explain to your wife why you done lost your kid's college fund. Got to hope and pray that somebody else going to hire you because now everybody in the whole damn country know you got a scandal on you. This is just reality. Meanwhile, they looking at me as the brother with the tattoos and gold teeth coming in how I want my record clean. Why? Because I need that bag. I die before I fuck it up. You understand what I'm saying? That bag go back to mama. That right. bag go back to right. my, my homies. That right. bag go back to the rent. That bag go over here. I'm not, why, why, right. why would I come in here and do this? Right. Why? But I understand they don't come from poverty. So you, you, you right. your mind frame different when you actually know what it's like to not eat for a day. Right. I know what it's like to look in that account and it ain't nothing in there. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not in competition with none of these lame academics. Y'all go do what y'all do. Y'all riding these white boys lap. We building. I got my own stuff going on. I, I'm for us by us the real way. It's, it is it is so funny you say that because in in launching this, it, it has been it has been it's been very interesting. 
it's been very interesting when I talk to the black ad agencies that haven't sent a dime our way. Mm. All the folks who, who've known me and all of these conversations, a lot of black folks love having. I sit this publicly, I don't care. It's, it's interesting to me when I listen to all these black folks in, in these owners in black media talk about how we need to partner, how we need to work together. I didn't launch this saying let bootstrap it. I literally went to every major black media company saying, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Let's partner. Yeah. None wanted to partner. Mm. Mm. Not one. I didn't meet with lower level. Mm. I communicated with the leaders of all of them. Not one. I mean, to be independent, not one. So a lot of black people out there watching your show don't understand that uh, I understand it because I'm an independent artist. To be independent, man, you are putting yourself up against uh, all of the forces. The forces in your life that are saying, hey, what are we doing? Our stability is different now. The forces in your life that say, as a, as a man, when you look yourself in the mirror, you say, man, every black man come to this point, boy, where I have to make a serious decision. Am I going to be one of these niggas that's on that plantation asking Massa for a dollar, asking Massa for a piece of paper with one of his damn ancestors on the front of it? Or am I going to look in this mirror and summon my greatness, raise my middle finger to these jokers and say, I got to do what I got to do. I'm going to do it for me. I'm going to do it for my family. I'm going to do it for my people. And I'm going to do it for my generations even after me that ain't even going to be able there to you, see that they don't even understand what that, I'm doing. There you but go. they're going to look back and say, Dad, I had, a, I had somebody in my family uh, bloodline that wasn't playing with him, man. He took some real chances. You know, he, for all intents and purposes, we got to be our family's Prescott Bushes. We got to be the person there you go. going against the grain there you go. That's, that's outcasted at that time so that the generations after us can look back and say he took the sacrifice for us to be right here on this on this field in yep. this position at this current moment. And that and that is there is there is jealousy. There are folks. How dare you? Um, I, I can't believe you're turning our money down. What, what what do you think you're doing? We get, and and man, I, I can't and 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 when when I have these conversations on the air, mm -hmm. and that's the other thing. I purposely, I purposely say stuff. I purposely, I do with my audience like I do with my nieces and nephews. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this laptop costs two thousand dollars. Yeah, I see you do that all the time. The, but and I'm doing it because I'm trying to let our folks know this shit didn't just show up. <laughs> Like, we're not sitting here shooting this on some damn iPhones. Mm -hmm. No, we're shooting this on three C300s that, that the body alone is 9,000 each. The lenses that came with it and then the viewfinder and everything. Yeah, these three cameras here, this is a $75,000 package, mm -hmm. which means that when I'm telling my audience, I'm asking you to give mm -hmm. so I'm not completely dependent on an advertising agency that is putting up all the barriers. And then what happens is my people then go, well, your stuff don't look the same as over there. So therefore I'm not gonna support it. I said, no. The real is too, man, what I see when I see your show is you give, 
an opportunity so for people to speak, real black people. For example, those tweets I sent out last night. No other media mechanism is going to bring me on to contextualize and explain those tweets. They may put them up on the screen without context and say, man, Tep said some crazy stuff again. Uh, throw them on the screen without context and say, you know, I, I, they're going to put me in a position right. where the tweets would have me in danger, honestly. Right. But uh, the thing I've always liked about your platform, and I watch it all the time, uh, is that it is black folks from all of the political uh, diasporas and spectrums are speaking on Roland Martin. Uh, a lot of people are, are, are overlooking it because they want, they can't wait to get on CNN. They can't wait to be in front of Rachel Maddow. They can't wait to be in front of Joy Reid on MSNBC. They can't wait, they can't wait, they can't wait. They'll pick up the phone for the Washington Post before they will for you. Mm -hmm. and, and, and and this is just reality. I'm oh, like, oh, no, you ain't lying. <laughs> oh, no, 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 you ain't lying. <laughs> no, no, I can tell. It, no, it happened this week. It happened this week when I called some folks and they were unavailable, but then I see them on scene in MSNBC. I've been calling out Speaker Nancy Pelosi and her people. I'm like, yo, how you got time to do MSNBC and CNN several times a week and you can't do black media, yeah. but you ain't the Speaker of the House without black people. I, I, I speak for myself. I speak for Black Men Build. Uh, we are uh, very uh, gracious that you, that you even gave me the opportunity to come on here and talk to this many black folks. Because uh, I know how many black folks you're talking to every day. So I'm gracious for the opportunity to even be able to introduce myself to some of these people, to be able to reintroduce myself to some of these people, uh, to say some things that some people may not agree with, say some things that a lot of people may agree with, and go, Dag, man, you know, i never seen somebody willing to speak so boldly about this stuff. You know what I'm saying? When I look back at uh, Malcolm and King, um, a lot of times they, they may not have been like the most amazing organizers, if we're being honest about it, but they were uh, specifically Malcolm. He was great at just talking directly to people about what he felt, what mm -hmm. he saw and where he was accurately at in today's discourse of what was happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's that's what Roland Martin gives folks the opportunity to do. So I, I, why would I not come on here and try to do it? We are in a situation. And I, the people ask me this all the time. Hey, what is your thoughts on the present state of black media? What's your thoughts on, you know, where we are with black movements? And this is what I say, and I want to I want to hear what you think about this. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm afraid. I said, I'm afraid because if we allow everyone else to fund our movements if we have to go to everyone else to explain our movements and if we have to go to everyone else to define our movements we're going to get to a place where we are in control of none of it and we will be asking somebody else for permission mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We already did that. That's my greatest, my gr that's my greatest fear. We, if we continue on the present path, but are we not already there? We walk out. Me and my brothers, as y'all can't see on camera, we walk outside right now and get locked up by the police. I know some of the biggest self-proclaimed Marxists and 
socialists in the world. Everybody a socialist, but they got millions of dollars in the bank. I don't know how the hell you a socialist and a millionaire. <laughs> I don't understand. For the, I would never understand how you a socialist and a millionaire. Right. I just don't get it. But, uh, you know, I, I could call some of the biggest socialists and, and Marxist self-proclaimed folks in the world to try to get us out of jail. They're going to they gonna hang up that phone and not send me a damn dime. We're going to be in jail. Our lawyer fees are going to be unpaid. They're going to, you know, it's going to be internal emails. St. Louis Cats is asking for money again. You know what I'm saying? Like, we ain't actually in a, in a dilemma with the police. Like, we put ourselves in this situation. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, like, man, all that stuff don't really mean nothing to me, man. People want to come hit you with the brother Kumalakashaki stuff all the time. And I ain't knocking none of that because some of that we need for an accurate atonement with our history. But at the same time, don't tell me nothing about none of that when you can drive right past the black person on the corner who who's sleeping in that snow today and then it didn't even cross your mind to get outside of that forward focus and, and and humanize that person when you said calls when you said uh call someone a lot of people a lot, a lot of people i know a lot of i deal with a lot of people who oh i can't stand reverend jackson i mean they, they go on and on and on i remember i had my radio show on wvon and i said i threw the question out. i said let me ask y'all a question i said if you if you were anywhere in the world you got in trouble. I said, who would you call? Cats called in. He said, oh, I, he said, I called Johnny Cochran. I said, you ain't gonna be able to get to him. They said, I, 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 I call, I, I'll call Farrakhan. I said, you ain't getting to him. <laughs> and I told him, I said, I said, I'm not dismissing anybody. I said, yeah, I, either, I, said, I, said, I said, but let me tell you something. I said, here's what I know for a fact. I said, if you call the Rainbow Push office and they transfer you to either John Mitchell or the sister sitting across from John, I said, you are one person removed from Reverend Jackson. I said, now, I said, he ain't a saint, he ain't perfect. I said, but here's the most important thing. I said, he's available. Mm. And I said, one of the greatest problems that we have, and I know some folk, if I start naming them, where it took me months you're talking about these people in the, in the activist world mm -hmm. months to get them on my show i mm -hmm. couldn't even reach them i said that's the piece if we are not accessible to our people mm -hmm. the biblical example if the woman with the blood problem was not able to touch the hem of his garment she could not have been healed mm -hmm. the biggest mistake i got issues with black preachers who preach and when the service is over, they go into their bat cave and they never touch the people. Black leadership has to be accessible to the people mm -hmm. or we will perish. It does. I don't know Jesse Jackson like that. I try my best not to put no smut on a uh, black folk name that I don't know like that. But uh, if you say he's accessible, I'm gonna call you to get to him. <laughs> oh, that ain't a problem. Cause he ain't gonna pay the fault for the kid. That's not a problem. <laughs> I, I can do that. that, that I'm just playing, but like, uh, you right though, man, and, and, and black leadership also gotta be something else. It gotta be reluctant. Like, that's how I spot people that really are leaders. Reluctant leadership, because relu that reluctance mm. is a person that's mm. analyzing. You didn't just jump off the roof and start this. You analyzed, you thought about it. There was some reluctancy at first. Do I do this? Mm -hmm. mm. I think I'm gonna do it. Mm -hmm. Step by step, inch by inch. That's leadership leadership ain't gonna mm -hmm. hop you in the camaro and go from zero to five thousand when they know we're not ready for that type of velocity mm -hmm. and um what i see that happening a lot so so in many spaces when people say it's a leaderless movement i might as well believe them because the actions don't reflect that there's any goddamn leadership whatsoever on a national scale so maybe they're right but 
uh, responsible, reluctant leadership will not sit you in a Lamborghini and say, you know what, we on 170. We going 30, what's the speed mile? 55, 70? Man, let's go 120 for no damn reason. Right, right. The radiator breaks and you crash, then what? Uh, now it's a big come to Jesus to try to fix the Lamborghini. First of all, we shouldn't even been driving no damn Lamborghini. Second of all, we shouldn't even been going that fucking fast on this type of road. <laughs> you know right, right. I mean, I'll just be real. It, it, it like what I see a lot of times happening, and I don't want to take complete blame off of the systematic vices that got us in these situations because we shouldn't even be having to try to figure this stuff out. Absolutely. We should be absolutely being able to just live regular yeah. people. Same way white folks, just being we, able to live, really not worrying should. about looking in the rearview mirror, not what, right. Just We really should. Right. But since we don't, we got to approach it like that. We got to approach it as if we got to look at it for what it's worth. Our leaders got their brains blown out, period. They got killed, murdered, and captured. Yep. Some of them still in jail. And we ain't even like created a real mass movement to address the fact that they're in jail. But if we're going to do what we're doing, then let's do it from, from, let's really look at what's going on for real, for real. Not just from the pop culture lens. Not just because we got this artist on it today. Not just because we got Creflo Dollar coming through tomorrow. Not just because you got access to a person you never had access before. Now you want to stand in front of this person and kiki and ha-ha. Meanwhile, people, grandmama down there at Barnes dying from COVID-19. People going to the hospital for other stuff and coming out with coronavirus. A lot of people went on the internet and said, oh, I saw this from black leadership and this pissed me off, man. They was going on the internet saying that the virus wasn't real, that it was this, that it was Come that. on, bro. come they on, was, bro. They was comparing bro. to the coronavirus. Bro. And I said, this is the people? These are the people bro. that y'all empowered to talk to black people during an international global health crisis? These are the individuals who are opening their mouths and talking to the masses. Yep. And in retrospect, when hundreds and thousands and millions of people died, these are all the same people who distanced themselves from their original opinion that it wasn't real because they didn't want to be considered a damn grandmama killer. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. It ain't yeah. me. It ain't me. Yep. And I, like I said, I got nothing to worry about, but I live in a city where I know they damn sure ain't going to come. Last question. There's somebody watching. And they're like, Tef, you want it? Man, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. I want to do, I want to do a lot. I don't know what, where to start. Man. They, 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 they want, it could be their family, it could be their neighborhood, it could be their church, it could be the community, it could be their fraternity, it could be their sorority, it can be their community group, it can be just as an individual. What would you tell them what they should do right now? Uh, first of all, we got to organize. Uh, and if you don't know how to organize, you got to click up with some people who are willing to show you how. Um, I'm going to say go to www.blackmen.build, fill out the value pledge, put your information in, and somebody will contact you within a matter of days, if not hours, if I'm being honest. Uh, that's a start. We, we got open doors. We black men for black people. We don't exclude nobody, but we are black men for black people. We are for black people. I got to be very clear on that. We for black people. We unapologetically for all black people. A lot of people get caught up on the men part. I don't even know how to define a man in this type of society, so whatever. 
You know what I'm saying? And, and, and that's not me being derogatory. That's me saying that we have been so, so under attack that we, are, we have to create a new man, a new ideology of what a man mm -hmm. even is. So uh, that's step one. Step two, if that don't make sense to you, like I'm good on it. Um, sit with yourself. Begin to think about your own life. Analyze the forces that have you in the situation that you're in. It's mm -hmm. not by happenstance. We didn't just end up in the ghetto magically. Your cousin and your baby daddy didn't just end up in the prison accidentally. Uh, that black trans person that was walking down the street that got raped and murdered for absolutely nothing, that didn't just happen because it just happened to happen. We got to analyze what's really going on. So do some deep self-reflection. Um, and I believe when you start to do that, you start to develop your own analysis about your place, not only your place in society, but your place in the universe. Mm -hmm. And I think we live in a world where we got all of this stuff. We got the Instagram, we got the Twitter, we got the Facebook, we got the woo woo woo. You want to be the baby. You want to be Meek Mill. You want to be Megan Thee Stallion. You want to be all these, these uh, tributes that this, this society has created. This society handpicked these people and made these people into tributes. And you want to be these people. Mm -hmm. You want to be a tribute. It's the Hunger Games. You want to be a part of it. Because where you at, it ain't nothing going on. You could die walking outside where you at. And you looking at them shining. You looking at them shining. You say, man, they did it, I could do it. See, so, so now we repackaged the American dream and filled it up with a whole bunch of blood diamonds, a whole bunch of uh, LLCs and IRS ventures, and, now, and, and, and folks just in complicated situations because they don't want to, they want what the, the, the black folks that got shit right. have. So I say first, you got to analyze yourself, your situation. Start to critically think about why you in that situation, how you get in that situation. Some of it may be your personal responsibility, but I guarantee when you really start to take a bird's eye view of what's going on in your own life, I don't care if you the black man that's the CEO of Ford, I don't care if you LeBron James, I don't care if you uh, the, the, the brother that's the janitor down there at the, at the regional hospital, when we all start to take a bird's eye view of our lives, we will start to see that w there is a, a one thing that is universal throughout all of that, and that's the, the absence of black power, the absence of power, the absence of autonomy over your own life, the absence of being able to make a clear, concise decision, the absence of saying, I want to actually be a black person that analyzes love differently. I want to love this woman differently. I don't want to reflect. She, she ain't got the fake ass and the fake titty, so I can't even humanize her like that. She ain't doing this. I can't even do that. He ain't doing this. I can't even do that. We got to take a bird's eye view of our own lives. Start to take an account for, what, for, what, for the shit that we did to ourselves. Accurate, place that where it's at. But also realize that you got an enemy. Realize that this, come, this didn't start yesterday. This started hundreds of years ago when, when some ships showed up at the coastal coast of Africa somewhere, snatched some brothers, snatched some sisters, put them in the belly of them boats, brought their ass over here and turned their ass into product. Stopped up in Puerto Rico, got them some bootleg niggas and brought them down and put them on the auction block and told some stupid hunkies from the Appalachia that they came from, the, uh, from Africa as well. Went and got some indigenous folks that was already here that was dark enough to put on the auction block and use them as Africans from Africa as well. We, have, we are in a situation where, where we have just been manipulated. The history is a lie. The origin of the discourse is a lie. So when you really open your mind up, really look at your life for what it's worth, as a person, as a human being that's inflicted by these things, then you will start to see the necessity for you to move forward and get some of this off of you. 
Now, I may not be able to tell you how to get that off of you. I would suggest organization. But, I, but, but different people do different things. I'm going to tell you, join an organization, get in some alignment with some people that understand what you're going through, and let's get this up off of us. Tempo, I appreciate it. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.